Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Last week we went through the story of the lepers, outcasts of society, who found themselves having to live outside the city walls. And the city was uh, under siege by the enemies and they had circling around, there wasn't enough food to go around, people were starting to die, even cannibalism was starting to have a really bad situation. And if you remember, these lepers finally said, hey, we might as well go give up to the enemy because they might let us live. (laughs) And if they kill us, we're dying here anyway, right? And so they went on out there and they found that God had done an amazing miracle, you remember? He had caused the uh, enemy armies to, to believe they were under attack and they ran and, let, and left everything behind. All the possessions they had there and most importantly all the food that they have there, had there. And so these lepers were having a feast and they never got to have this kind of feast but they're having a feast and they're, 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 the money they're finding they're hiding and they're doing it and all of a sudden it hits them, it strikes them. They said we are not doing right. This day, because this day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. And so they were burned by it. So they went back to the city and told the people of the city, hey, the food's out here. And then they came out and, and the city was rescued. But this idea, right? We have good news. And we remain silent. Well, I think part of the reason for that may be because we don't really grasp what the good news is. We have a partial view of it, and we, or we don't, maybe we've understood it all, but we've kind of forgotten it and don't think about it much. So today, I'm gonna, I want us to focus in on what is the good news that we have? What is the good news? Well, what are the first four books of the New Testament called? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I know, but what do we call those books? The Gospels, that's right, you know, and, and so what does that mean? Well, the word gospel literally means the good news. And of course, when we're talking about it in the Bible, and, and we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ and, and what he's done. The word gospel is an interesting word. It actually goes back to old English words of a G-O-D-S-P-E-L, God spell, okay? Uh, and because the, the word G-O-D back in old English meant good, it was good, and I think maybe if they capitalize it, they're talking about God as a good one, but it meant good, and spell was a story. It means a story. It's the good story. It's the good news, all right? So the Bible talks us about the gospel, mentions the gospel, wow, wait, lots of, but actually uses the word translated gospel over 90 times in the New Testament, and then there's all sorts of other forms of the word in the original language that get translated other ways. But let's, let's take a look at the first one here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 1323. And by the way, this is a little different today. We're going to look at a lot of verses today. So um, really encourage you to try to follow along. I'll give page numbers for the Bibles that are there in the chairs. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse number 1. This is Paul writing. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which also you received, 
and in which you stand. So they had received the gospel, been saved, and then their whole standing in their Christian life is in the gospel. Let me just say this to you. We, um, typically, I think, when we think gospel, if we aren't really sitting and thinking about it, we think gospel, this is how we get saved, the gospel. We don't think that our whole lives ought to be lived out in the gospel. We'll, we'll talk a little more about what that means. He says, so in which you stand and by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, as if it, your faith wasn't genuine. Verse three, for I delivered to you, first of all, here's the gospel that Paul preached. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the 12, and it goes on and talks about how Jesus was seen. Uh, one note about the gospel. It is so good for us as Christians that the, um, our faith, the gospel message, our faith is rooted in an historical event that we can look to and conclude that it actually happened. In other words, our faith is not built on somebody's ideas, it's not built, built on some a philosophical concept. It's grounded, rooted in a historical event. Jesus died and rose again, all right? And everything else comes out of that, all right? So he says, this is the gospel. And I, I think we, we typically get this. Jesus died for what? For our sins, all right? And so when we think gospel and when we hear this, we think Jesus died for our sins, right? Yes, I've sinned, I've messed up, I've disobeyed God. I can't fix that problem, and so Jesus dies, and as he dies, he pays the penalty for my sins and, and, uh, so that I can be saved, so that I can you know, receive Christ as Savior. And our tendency is to think of the gospel in that way. And is that true? Is it? It's absolutely true, that's right. Okay, and that is a starting point. But what I want you to see here today is that the gospel is so much bigger than that, so much more powerful than that, because what we tend to do, we get saved, right? We receive Christ as Savior, we trust Him, what He did on the cross for us, and our sins are forgiven. We say, okay, I'm going to heaven now. But man, between here and there, it's up for grabs, right? My life, and I gotta try to work hard to be good, and I gotta do this, and, and no, the gospel extends over your whole life, every part of your life. And, and I wanna help you to see what that means to us. What we see in the Bible when it comes to the gospel is there's two really big concepts. And the first of those concepts is this, it's total pardon, pardon. I looked at the word pardon, think, trying to figure out what it meant and this kind of stuff, but it just means forgiven. In other words, what you have done, you are now released from any penalty from that. It doesn't, it's never to be held against you again if you are pardoned, all right? Total pardon. Can you let that sink in? I mean, are you like me? You have a tendency that when you, you understand that I am pardoned, I am forgiven. Yes, I am forgiven. But somehow I still feel like I need to try to make things right. You ever feel that way? You know, I, I sin again and oh, I need to try to make up for that. I need to fix it. Or I need to. But when it comes to total pardon, how many of your sins did Jesus die for? I mean all the sins before you got saved? Yes, but that's not all, is it? 
all the sins since you got saved, the sins that you have not committed yet. Jesus died and paid them, and you are already pardoned for those things. And you might say, well, gee, then I can go live however I want. Well, if you think that, then you didn't get what I got when I got saved. Because Jesus changes us in our hearts, and we don't want to live that way anymore. Sometimes we do, but that isn't really what we want deep down inside, because he's changed us. So, but totally, totally pardoned. So let's, let's, let's uh, kind of dig down on that in the scriptures here today. Ephesians chapter 1. And just you might, if you have a bookmark, mark here, we will be back here again this morning. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. It says, in him, talking about in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And he goes on and expounds about more things related to that. But in him we have redemption through his blood. Um, when something gets redeemed, have you ever redeemed a coupon? By the way, I'm, I'm originally from Missouri. Do you guys say coupon or coupon? 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 I grew up coupon. So it still comes. All right. So um, if you redeem one of those things, <laughs> uh, you, you have the coupon and they got the thing, right? And you, you take that coupon and you give it to them and then now you what? Take possession of whatever the coupon was for, all right? You have redeemed the coupon. Well, in Christ, we are redeemed. We were over here, we were lost in sin. We, you know, we were hopeless, we couldn't fix our situation. In the spiritual realm, we were kind of in the kingdom of darkness here and under Satan's influence and all that. Well, Jesus' death, and when we get saved, he what, he redeems us. He, what he did for us now has bought us and now we belong to him. Belonging to him, good news. You guys are awake out there today? Belonging to Christ, we belong to him and he will never let go. Never lets go. So we are redeemed, this is and forgiven. Okay, we're forgiven. All right, I'm forgiven. No, what's it say there? Forgiven according to what? To say the riches of his grace. How much grace does God have? Didn't we sing this morning? His grace is what? It's enough. And that doesn't mean just barely. This, this grace way beyond. In fact, what does Paul say? Where sin abounded, grace abounded just barely enough. No, he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Okay? And so that is how we are forgiven. We aren't just forgiven to the barely, to the edge. No, we are just, it's all done. It's all forgiven. Every sin that we have ever committed or ever will commit. Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood, provides us with that forgiveness of sin. So let's continue to think about what this means. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, 1,354. Colossians chapter 2. Anybody decide to commit a lot of sins in your life before you came to Christ? If you were four years old, you probably didn't commit a lot. But yes, we committed a lot, and since then we've committed a lot. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse number 13. Paul says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's telling them they were Gentiles, they were not Jewish, and that's what he means by the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead in your trespasses, spiritually dead because of your sins, and he said, You were not even part of the people of God there, 
It says, you he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All right, so if, if you could see a list of your sins, right, a list of the long list of your sins, and okay, this sin violated this moral principle. This sin violated, uh, it wasn't loving. This sin broke this commandment. This sin, uh, would you have a long list? of the writing that was against you, that was contrary to you, that said you are condemned, you are deserving of hell. This is, that's what we had. And what Paul says is that when Christ went to the cross and died for us, he just erased it all. He wiped it all out. How did he do it? Well, by nailing those sins to the cross in himself. So there's this long list of sins rightfully showing what I deserve, but now it's gone. It went with Jesus. It went with him. Um, sometimes we find ourselves, with ourselves, but even sometimes more with other people, feeling like people ought to have to pay when they do something wrong, right? They ought to pay. And we have a sense of justice, and I get that. And sometimes you might think it, it isn't right. We see somebody get away with something. We think they get away. Then nobody ever gets away with anything but in their lives. But right, we see it just doesn't. But I want you to understand something. When it comes to Christ, if, if I go to the Lord and say, you know, that doesn't seem, that isn't fair, that isn't right, this person's getting away with it, or, or God, I'm talking about myself here, whatever. He says, what do you mean? Justice was done. How was justice done? on the cross. The full penalty for sin, every sin ever committed by every person who ever lived, justice was done on the cross. Does that start to help you understand why we as Christians ought to live differently and have a different mindset toward people who are sinners? Right? Do you remember when the, the, they had the woman caught in adultery and they were, you know, wanting to stone and they're trying to catch Christ and we have that attitude. We tend to do, but no, justice. It's been done. It's been paid. Now, I understand that, yes, in life there are still consequences, right? In life there are consequences and things have to be dealt with. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we are totally, totally pardoned. You really need to let that sink in. Because we get saved, we get saved the moment we receive Christ and we, are received, we know the verses, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, saved by grace through faith, not of works, not of works. And, and if, you, if you come from our heritage, a, a Bible-believing background, a Baptist background or whatever, man, we are big on that and ought to be. And then we get up and now try to go live as Christians by trying to be good. By what? By our own works. And we're going to look at this more next week. But in the book of Galatians, Paul is pulling his hair out. 
I think Paul was half bald because he was always pulling his hair out. Okay? He's like, what's gone? What is it with you Galatians? He said, here you were, you were saved totally by faith, not by works. He says, now do you think you're gonna get your life right by I'm buckling down and doing good works? Not gonna happen. You know what, I'm, I'm talking about so many things, way too many things that we can cover this morning, so if I leave you puzzled about something, that's okay. You may not like it, but it's okay, all right? Just trust God about that. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five. And that is page number 1330. There's lots of passages of scriptures I love, and this is one of them. Starting in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Man, we could spend weeks on that idea. But just know that deep down inside, in your spirit, God has totally changed you. Okay, you are really connected with him there. And that new nature begins to work its way out into your life. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. New creation, deep down inside, forever changed, and begins to work its way out in our life. But I want you to see what he said. He said God was in Christ, the Father was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. What does man's religion try to do? Man's religion, approach to religion, is to try to figure out what can I do to get reconciled with God, right? I, I gotta do more of this, more of that, less of this, so I can be reconciled to God. But the Bible says here that God was there in, when Christ died for us, reconciling the world to himself. And what was our part in that? Double zeros. This is something that God did. God alone did. And here's what it amounts to, is that Christ died, Jesus died there paying for every sin. Is his payment sufficient? Is it? Yeah, the perfect, holy son of God dying there. It's full and sufficient payment. And what God did in that way is he has removed every obstacle that keeps us from having a relationship with him, except for one. And that's us, our decision whether or not to respond and accept that. That's the only obstacle that remains. In other words, it's already done. As far as God is concerned, he's ready. He's ready. And you know, if we went and looked at the story of the prodigal son, one of the ways we look at that story is the, with the father in the story, and like, God, was the father and the prodigal son ready for his son to return? Yeah, see, this is the way God is. He's already dealt with it all. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? What did we do to deserve that? Nothing. All by his grace. All because he loves us. 
And he did this knowing that there would be people who won't take advantage of it. But he still paid it all. That old song, Jesus paid it in part. No, Jesus paid it all. So he was in Christ, reconciling the world. And it says here in that last verse of that chapter, how did he do that? Well, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so here we are. Here's all of my sins that I've, I've ever committed, all my sins that I ever would commit. I didn't even exist at the time, but God knew about me. So he takes my sins and he dies for my sins. And all of my sins, every one of them, thoughts, actions, attitudes, act, he puts it on him. He takes it. Now it's, it's his. He owns it. Because what's it say there? He made him who knew no sin to what? What's it say? To be sin for us. To be, he actually took it and took the guilt and the blame and the penalty. And the other side of this, he did this so that when we receive Christ, we become what? The righteousness of God. You talk about an exchange. You know, that'd be like me. I have a, a, a how old is that thing now? I have a 11-year-old Audi with, Tons of thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles on it. And that would be like, you know, someone pulling in with a new Bugatti. What's it cost? Two million dollars, three million, something like that, and saying, here, let's trade. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I don't Right? I mean, that's a, it's probably not, it's a silly example to try to think of, but it's an exchange for, of, of my sin. Okay, you want my sin? Okay. And you're giving me your righteousness? So that means somehow or other in my relationship with God, when God looks at me, if you know Christ, when he looks at you, we tend to see ourselves you know, as a worm. I gotta tell you, there's times that I go to prayer and I, I find myself trying to convince God of my worminess. And I realize, why am I doing that? I mean, yes, he's done this, and, it's, and yeah, I do have struggles, but. He has made me the righteousness of God. That's the reality deep down inside and I gotta learn to work it out in my life and live it out. That's how he sees us. That's when you've received Christ as Savior. Wow, we're like way out of time. So um, turn to Romans chapter eight. So get this. There, chapter eight, verse one, page 1300. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it goes on and describes us that we, you know, we're spiritually alive and God is working. But that phrase, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now what? No condemnation, maybe a little bit, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None, zero, 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 zero. None. <laughs> there's no condemnation. When you, once you come to Christ, there's no longer any condemnation. There's nothing between you and the Lord anymore. Okay, so let's, let's move on here. Go to Ephesians chapter one. And uh, before they put up that next slide, not only total pardon, absolute acceptance. You know, we have this mindset, and, and I don't know about you, I tend to be this way. There's people who have, you know, hurt me in life. and I forgive them, and I don't wish ill on them, but I'm kind of like, you stay over there. 
I'm not saying that's good or right. I'm just talking about real, okay? Anybody else ever have that experience? There's people who, you forgive them, you know, you aren't wanting to hurt them or, you know, but you just hope they just stay over there. <laughs> and sometimes that's, that's practical in life. But the Lord doesn't do that with us. He didn't say, okay, I forgive you. No, you know, no, I forgive you. You're mine. Come. You are absolutely accepted. So here we are. We're back in Ephesians 1. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in Christ. And by our believing in Christ, he chose us that when we trusted Christ before the foundation of the world, he, he knew us. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Man, we could spend a long time on that. Holy and without blame? Is he talking about me? <laughs> yeah, he is. Talking about you. Having predestined us, okay, we've received Christ, now we are predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of grace. Now here's what I want you to see. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted. Totally accepted. The word accepted is, is translated from a Greek word that we don't necessarily get the full concept of. In the English, the word accepted is the action or process of being received as adequate or suitable. Okay, you're acceptable. That's what the, the basic meaning is in English. But when we chase down what this word is translated, it's not translated wrong, it's just how it's understanding what the Greek language brings it here. In the Greek, it, it means to grace somebody in other words, to endue them with special honor. So when we come to Christ, in Christ, we aren't just, okay, all right, we'll let you in. No, it's, we are endued with honor. He honors us, blesses us with his grace. How is it that we deserve that? Do we? We don't deserve that. And yet he honors us. What a place. This is, this is what I'm trying to say. The gospel is much bigger than, okay, I got my list you know, I've forgiven and, oh no. That wasn't ever God's intent. The good news goes way beyond that. He's accepted and endued us with honor, honoring us, favoring us. First John chapter three and verse one and two says, behold what manner of love the Father has sent, or has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And beloved, now we are what? The sons of God, children of God, sons of God. The idea of son speaks to the privilege, but we're children of God. In Galatians chapter four, he says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, this relationship. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ, a son, an heir, and then Romans chapter eight in Ephesians says the joint heirs with Christ. Same level as him. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, honored. The gospel, is this good news? It's way good news. Two big concepts. Total pardon, 
absolute acceptance. And I'm not going to turn there just for time's sake, but Romans chapter 8 then says, so, I think it has just a little bit of an attitude. If God be for us then, who can be against us? Right? See what God has done? Nobody can ever change what I have with God. Nobody. Why do I get so worked up about it then, what other people do? Why do you get so worked up about what other people? Because they can't change this. And then he goes on and says, for I have determined that nothing, all these things you can even imagine, cannot separate us from the love of God. Inseparable. And so I say to you, with the lepers in our story from last week, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. This is amazing good news. God wants to totally pardon you. And he wants to accept you and honor you. Man, that's good news to share, isn't it? We don't want to remain silent. We need to do things about it. All right, so what we're going to do now is give you a practical way that you can do something about this. Um, We're going to watch a, a video here for just a little bit. But one of the things we are doing as a church this year is Operation Christmas Child. Uh, and they'll explain in the video. But the idea is this box and what you put in it and as you pray over it and it gets sent out, there are people around the world who could come to Christ because of it. And so we don't want to remain silent. This is a great way to do something about that. Okay? All right. Um, so let's watch that video and then I'll pray and we will be dismissed. and receive the gift boxes with such excitement. You see it on their faces, on their smile, in their eyes. Some of them, is the very first time that they ever received a gift in their lives. We always include about a 10-minute gospel presentation in each event. Jesus loves you. That's what Operation Christmas Child is all about, is to reach children of the world with God's love. And we do that through a simple gift. They feel like somebody Love me. There's no greater joy than knowing we're getting to be a part of the Great Commission together. And so there is a global change that's going on. This is Franklin Graham. Right now I'm in Yangon. We've just handed out shoebox gifts and we couldn't do it without the army of volunteers at home that make this happen. Volunteers across the nation love to spread the word about shoebox gifts. This is a little too big of a box. What should we put in there? Uh, There's no way that you could do this without volunteers. They're incredible. The energy that they have, the excitement that they have. We were just packing some Christmas boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Little gifts that we can fit all into a box and then we also got to write little notes for them. I do this because I know it makes a difference in a child's life. One child, one life, one difference, one more soul for eternity. We're packing shoeboxes. Oh man, there's a party going on behind me. You want to make sure that the boxes that we send back are something that these kids are going to remember forever. You just know that you're changing someone's life and that's the best gift that anybody could ever get on Christmas. After shoeboxes are collected, processing centers around the country prepare them for the journey ahead. Hey guys, I'm here at the processing center at Atlanta for Operation Christmas Child. Having a great time.
Our volunteers are just incredible people that love the ministry of Operation Christmas Child. Special delivery! All these beautiful people behind me are volunteers and they are so excited. This is the Good Samaritan work that the Lord is looking for people to do. When we pray, God takes your gift and he begins to navigate it around the world and it ends up in the hands of a child. God begins to answer those prayers. I was alone in my room. I sit on my knees and I talk to God. God, I need a Bible. God sent for me a gift. Getting a gift was very new for me. Opening the book, I defined toys, cars, and a Bible. God answered my prayer and I feel so happy. After a child receives a gift box, the child is invited to go through 12 lessons, which we call the greatest journey. We want to disciple to make her a stronger foundation of empowering the new generation. When students graduate from The Greatest Journey, they receive a certificate and a Bible in their own language. In the hands of the local pastors, these boxes can be used as a tool to touch a whole community. Nosotros compartimos con los niños una cajita de regalo, pero a la vez compartimos el evangelio con ellos. Hacemos un seguimiento y a través de la gran aventura, los niños comenzaron a asistir domingo a domingo. Entonces, prácticamente inició la iglesia con niños. The Great Commission, we're to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication, that's what we do. With the sound so full, it cracks the sky. just give this box for today. We give this box, we preach the gospel through the boxes for the next 10 years, 20 years. The ministry of Operation Christmas Child, it has given me so much hope. It never ceases to amaze me how a simple box can change the world for a child. Thousands will be impacted by just one gift. Hallelujah, amen. Isn't this fun? You know, every shoebox is different. I don't think there's, I've ever seen two shoeboxes uh, alike. They're like snowflakes. But one thing that's common with, with all the gifts, and that's prayer. We, you see, we ask people to pray. Pray for the child that's going to get your box. Can you imagine millions of millions of people praying for children this year? So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. We never have enough boxes. We always need more. So please continue to help and continue to pray. God bless. Thank you. All right, certainly not the only way we need to get the gospel out, but what a great way to get the gospel out. So take advantage of that. There's a, a display in the foyer. There's even a Christmas tree out there. And, uh, they can help you out with these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the good news. Just overwhelmed, Father, as I ponder it and think about it and what it means. And, and uh, I 
Thank you, Lord, that we're going to continue to look at what it means. That we're going to see some powerful, powerful things. Um, so I pray that we'll grasp that, Lord, and we'll purpose in our hearts, determine before you today that somehow, some way, we're not going to remain silent. On purpose, we're going to work to get your gospel out. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.